Well, good evening, everybody. This is Jeff Morton, your host, uh, or I should say one of the hosts of Returning to Eden, my co-host, Dina. Are you there? I am here. Well, tonight we're going to have a power-packed show. Uh, we are very, very glad you guys are joining us today. Dina, we're going to jump into a lot of information, but uh, why don't we uh, give the folks a little bit of information about how they can contact us? Sure. So my ministry is called Foundations in Torah, and that's an easy one, just www.foundationsintorah.com. And you can go to my website. Now, it is a membership website, but I have everywhere from free up to $25 a month. So if you just want to join for free, there's plenty of material. I have a weekly newsletter that I put out and all kinds of video teachings. So I would encourage you. And we do this membership thing just to kind of protect the site from, you know, stuff out there in the ozone layers. And, uh, yeah, and uh, part of this our whole programming thing has stemmed from my new book, uh, The Temple Revealed in Creation, A Portrait of the Family. And it is written in a style that we call creative nonfiction. And I really hope folks will get the book. Uh, we, we're advertising here on Messianic Lamb Radio, but it'll really help you understand what we're talking about. And it, and the language in the book is quite engaging because it's written in story form. Uh, they're little fictional vignettes. So that's kind of my, my shtick right now. And folks, you can catch me over at jeffsmorton.com. This is kind of a generic website, but all of the things that I'm involved in and all the things that I'm doing, the book that I wrote, got a couple more books in the fire, uh, you can get just about everything you need to know about me from jeffsmorton.com. Of course, you can order my book there, uh, Uncoloring Race, Black to Brace Sheet. And my whole concept for writing the book was to encourage us, the house of God, the people of God, to uh, get out of the way that the world plays uh, racism, bigotry, and anti-Semitism and represent the king and the coming kingdom that we know is coming here. And so my book was kind of an introduction to those of us who are part of the kingdom to represent the kingdom things as opposed to the things of hell. And so that's kind of what I do, and that's kind of how I got started in all of this. And uh, then I connected with Dina and uh, the world changed once again. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm Dina, all about we... changing the world. <laughs> well, what are we going to talk about tonight, Dina? Well, we're going to talk about order versus chaos. One of the things I do want to say, I want to preface my remarks with, you know, we're going back to the ancient world and we're trying to uncover the language and the context and the culture. But I do not want people to think that we're discounting the ministry of the words of the Bible, because the the Bible is life-changing, life transformation. And I know when I met Messiah head-on, my life went 180 degrees in the opposite direction. So this in no way is discounting our relationship with Yeshua the Messiah, nor is it discounting the power that we have in the word uh, in the Word of God. So I just I want to I want people to understand that before we launch into some of this, uh, you know, discussion. I'm sure you would agree. Yeah, we are in complete agreement with that, and uh, we're just really just kind of going back and looking at the ancient world and how they looked at uh, what they were writing about and the audience that they had. That's really what the art and soul of the show is all about. Uh, but uh, and that. With regard to uh, order versus chaos, there's a lot to be said here. And Dina, if oh you my want to go ahead and open it up. Yeah. 
Well, and let me, the reason I picked that topic was I felt there was a good place to start before we even go into the book of Genesis. If we understand those two concepts, and, and certainly we understand that today when we see our world completely out of order, we see that manifested sometimes in the way the weather works, you know, earthquakes and hurricanes and things like that. And that is all certainly a reflection of chaos. But to the ancient world, when a temple was built, that established order in their world. So basically, order came to be synonymous with a standing temple, and chaos was synonymous with a temple being destroyed. So now when we look at the scriptures, we know this is a pattern we see repeatedly, where a temple is built, and then uh, it's destroyed, and then it's rebuilt and destroyed, etc., etc. So just know that those expressions have to do with the, the order and chaos in the world. Now, order, for instance, in the ancient world, when a king came to town, uh, maybe he booted out the previous king, one of the first things that he would do is he would build a temple in that city for his God, and that would establish order and peace. Because up until that time, that king perhaps had been expanding territory and fighting with who knows who. So when a temple was built, a temple, you know, the design given to him by his God, that established order. So again, that that's critical. And we can, we can understand order in terms of life and disorder or chaos in terms of death. So uh, as we'll probably talk a little bit about Adam, but what he brought into the world was chaos and death. Well, you know, when you, when you really stop and think about it, it I'm not going to launch us into Genesis, but we see that pattern of the father creating a temple. Uh, we all live in that place. And so what is he doing? He's establishing his sovereignty over all that is about to happen. And we see Adam, he literally created chaos. And so what happened? The temple, he was barred from the temple of the garden uh, and then we saw death, his children. We saw a myriad of things take place that weren't supposed to happen as a result of his not following the dictates of, of the father. And so, Dina, when we talk about the temple and we talk about the garden story, aren't we really just talking about a temple in time that Adam was to be in charge of? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, even before Genesis 1, if you will, that there's, you know, it's outside of time. When Genesis 1 comes, we have time. So we have these two worlds separated, if you will, by the firmament. So we have this world that we live in. We're governed by the laws of nature. Uh, you can't violate the law of gravity, for example. And then we have the world outside of time, which is the what we call eternity in the place where God dwells or where the king rules from that, that place. But he created time really in order to have a relationship with his creation. So this whole uh, time was basically connected to the cosmos. So cosmos just means ordered universe or ordered world. And so the forming of the cosmos was what we could identify as the very first sacred space in time. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, you know, why did God do that? And basically he ordered the cosmos, or we could say he built a house with the purpose of taking up residence in it. And that's the pattern and plan throughout the scriptures, the, that he wanted to take up residence and have a relationship with his creation. 
I like how John Walton, uh, and you'll hear us talk about Professor John Walton often in his book, um, <clears throat> Genesis, uh, what is it? The Lost World of Genesis 1. He talks about, he gives an analogy, or maybe this is in his second book, I can't remember. I'm reading three of his books right now about how we would build a house and then before we moved into it, we would turn the lights on. In other words, there was a function and a purpose to everything we were doing. And when we look at the Genesis account, that's quite literally what we see the Father doing. He's creating a function and a purpose for us. And, you know, Dina, I was looking at uh, on the Temple Institute today. I was curious about uh, sacred space. Mm-hmm. And they reference sacred space as throughout the throughout the entire narrative for example david purchased the land that ornan uh, had uh, abraham was up on the mountain the father showed up and he's no longer they're in the they're in the presence of the father so really when we're talking about sacred space we're talking about being in the presence of the father or absolutely in, into the sovereign or into god yahweh and we see those instances throughout the scriptures where uh, i was reading in uh, in the Daniel account of me, the, the the three folks, the three guys who were in the fiery furnace, you would say that they were no longer in time because they were in the presence of Yahweh. Would you say that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I don't want to get too far into this because we'll really go off topic. But okay. the, the concept of the furnace actually came to represent in, in the ancient world what we call the Holy of Holies. It was really the place of the fire. And so the Holy of Holies is really the world outside of time. So let me back up just a bit because the pattern that we have is very important here, that we have heaven, earth, and sea. And I did touch on this last week, but this is the same pattern of the temple. So if you think of the cosmic temple of heaven, earth, and sea, the same picture can be applied to the earthly temple, whereby the heavens represented the inner sanctuary the inner sanctum, that would be the Holy of Holies. The earth would represent the the inner courtyards of the temple environment. And then the seas were the place outside or the outer court. And this is, we see this all through the ancient literature. And this is a pattern we see all through the Bible because of course the Bible is an ancient text. So it's very important to understand that. And let me just read this. This is from Exodus 20. Because a lot of people probably haven't paid much attention to this particular verse, tucked away in the Sabbath. And it says, for in six days, so now we see a pattern with Genesis chapter 1. I just lost my place. For in six days, Adonai made heaven and earth and the sea. You see that? And all that is in them. So he filled those three spheres. And he rested on the seventh day. Now, this is critical to understand because the concept of rest, which uh, we might not get into in much detail this week, but we certainly will next week. But the concept of rest didn't have anything to do with God sitting up in the clouds, you know, with his legs crossed, reading a newspaper and smoking a Cuban cigar. You know, rest meant that peace had come to the kingdom, that the king had defeated all his enemies. And now when he rules and reigns from that city or from that kingdom, that the people that live there are benefiting from the peace. And there is social order in the kingdom as well as every kind of other order. So, again, this concept of heaven, earth and sea is just all through the Bible. Well, I'm reminded of the verse and I don't have it in front of me where 
talks about all who enter, enter into the rest of the Father, the dwelling place of the Lord. So when we enter into his rest, it means that he's literally, there's the chaos is gone and order has come. That's, that's largely what that means, correct? It, it absolutely does. And so we see the pattern in Genesis chapter one. So we start out with uh, the, sort of the, out of the tohu bavohu, out of the non-ordered world, God creates order and he is basically building a temple. And when it's all done, we get to Genesis chapter two. And what do we celebrate? The Sabbath, the seventh day set apart a day of rest, because this is the, the fullness of the kingdom. Uh, I also want to read a verse in Revelation because this is critical as well. Uh, this is in Revelation 10:5. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea, so we see the angel having control over that outer sphere, and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven and swore by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there could be no more delay. And we've talked about as well, this is all establishing order because the book of Revelation is all about a temple construct. And it's about this this battle between chaos and order. And when this temple is built, then the order comes. The the thing, you, folks, you have to keep in mind as we journey back to Eden is a lot of these concepts that we're talking about, that we're exploring, that we're discussing didn't need to be discussed in the time that they were written. This was well understood by the people in these these places in history, whether it was in King David's time, whether it was in Avraham's time. These were concepts that they were very familiar with because, Dean, I like how you wrote in your book, the temple was the center of virtually all civilizations, whether it was Hebrew or otherwise. Can you elaborate just quickly on how the temple was? The, the source of livelihood for most cultures. Well, of course, again, we go back to the king and, and he's defeated his enemies and he's set up shop, but now he needs a place for his God over that particular city to dwell. Now in the ancient world, the humans <laughs> were created to take care of the gods, to clothe the God, feed the God and provide housing for the God. The difference for in our world in relationship to our God is that he didn't create us to take care of him. He created us to have a relationship with him. So that was very different. That would have been extremely different when the other cultures looked at the is you know at Israel, ancient Israel, and Israel's relationship with her God. But in the in the ancient world, their gods, you know, needed to be taken care of. And the main thing is they needed a house to live in. Uh, from where they would control, from where they would rule and reign. So temples and palaces, if you will, are essentially synonymous so that the God would go into the inner sanctum and there he would control everything. So temples basically, uh, op- the way they operated is that they they ran all the judicial, the civil authority, the you know, any kind of economic function, everything came back to the temple that was in that city. And of course, with multiple gods, we got multiple temples and and anytime there's any kind of excavation in the ancient world, what's the first thing they find? Well, of course, it's a temple because that was ground zero for that culture. So would you, we were talking, uh, and I, you know, I joked last week, but a lot of times we imagine this great big hand picking Adam up and putting him over a wall into a garden. 
Dean, I want you to share with the audience what you shared with me about when we talk about sacred space and rest. God placed Adam into a function. Share a little bit about that. Well, we have to go back to Genesis there. And you remember when it talks about uh, that life was first, the, the world is empty and void, right? But right. that that term tohu, we translate as empty, really means, and tohu vavohu means it's without form. It is actually, and the idea of form there is not a scientific term. It's not that, that there's no substance. It's that there's no function. So without form, form gave function to whatever role a king or whomever had. And so without function, things were, see, it's not a, a judgment call, whether something's right or wrong. It's that something is functional, which is good, and something is non-functional, and that's seen as evil or bad. We, we judge everything in right and wrong, but it's not really a moral judgment per se. So we have this concept of without form. Now, it's from this point that we see that the, the world, the ordered world comes forth. But it, in jumping ahead to the garden, if you'll recall, Adam, what's the first thing that happens? It's, it talks about God forming Adam and right. blowing the breath of life into him. But the forming part isn't about a structural forming out of dust and making him into a human being. The right. forming is about his function and his role inside of sacred space. And so the forming meant that he was going to be king over this space and he would rule and reign in as a representative of God himself. And he would serve in the role and function of high priest. And then the blowing of the breath in was actually, and I'll, I'll talk about that later, but the idea of that was actually an anointing of a king. So we're kind of stuck on, you know, there's Adam and he, you know, God just kind of got him in there and he comes out of dust. And it's really, that's really not what's being communicated here. This is not how the ancient world would have looked at it. Certainly not ancient Israel, but that they would see Adam was given a role and a function in order to mediate between God and the people. And we see that pattern. I mean, that pattern does not change. So why would it be any different in the, in the account of Adam. And when we look at it, that's exactly what the father was doing. He appointed him to do something, which means he was set apart. And we see that pattern throughout the scriptures. It doesn't matter what generation we happen to be in. Whenever we were called into service, the first thing the father was encouraging us to do is to be set apart, to be somewhat sacred or to be in his presence. Dean, I love how when we talk about um, the ordered versus, or, you know, we, we tend to look at the beginning as a science project. Right. right. When we're really talking about not science at all, we're talking about material function and purpose of ordering the house and turning on the lights. Literally, that's what we did. We see God made a house and he turned on the lights and he's preparing it for a purpose. And that's literally what Adam is all about. That is exactly the sacred space. I mean, it's not good if the sacred space is empty. There is no point. If you build a house and, and you don't, you know, put your furniture in and hang your pictures, that, you know, defeats the purpose of building a house. And so the sacred space was a space in which function 
was uh, performed. And so the sacred space, the main person, if you will, in the sacred space would would be the high priest in, in a more modern, you know, temple pattern. But you, if you think about that, uh, the high priest and all the priesthood and everything, they all had their roles, they all had their functions, they all had to do it exactly as it had been had been ordered. And really, the same thing applies to us. And if we're going to talk about ourselves as the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about ourselves as living stones, therefore, each of us has a particular function and role to play within the body. And what happens too often is so many never discover what their purpose and function is in the kingdom. And hopefully through this, people start considering, because that is the thing that when when God's talking about forming you in your mother's womb, he's actually talking about forming you for function. Your function has already been determined by the time you're a seed in your in your mother's womb. And so people who die without ever knowing their purpose in life, I mean, it's a tragedy. And so it's something innate in all of us to find out who we are and what our purpose is in this world. This sums it up nicely. And, you know, Psalm 139, which is what Dina was quoting, uh, formed in the in your mother's womb. That's one of my favorite passages, the whole, the whole psalm itself. Uh, but if we look at that psalm, and I encourage you folks to go back and read that psalm, but read it in the in the in the context that you are being created for a reason, and you have been given a purpose. And if we can just come to that place, then maybe some of the arguing and dysfunction and chaos that exists in the body, maybe we we could start getting beyond that simply by realizing that we have a purpose and a function. That's why we're here. We're not here because two people got together and produced a child. We're here because the Father said, I'm going to create you. This is how you're going to exist. And there is something that I want you to do. And that's literally what Adam represents. And we're going to stay on this subject, chaos and order. Uh, Who knows? (laughs) Maybe a week, another week, two weeks. We've got a lot of material to cover and a lot of ground. Uh, There's a lot. There's a lot to say about that because, and again, we're sort of focusing here on the sacred space being the place of order. And when you go outside the boundary of the sacred space, so outside the boundary of the garden or outside the boundary of the temple, that's where disorder exists. So like with the children of Israel in the wilderness, that was their uh, that was their special space. But if they went outside the boundary, you know, when sometimes they were sent outside the camp for various, you know, discretions, but that was a place of wild animals and hyenas and all that stuff. Like you didn't want to be living outside the camp because you were subject to death. So that chaos and death outside the camp, we all want to be inside the camp. And that, of course, it represents a physical temple, but it also represents a spiritual temple in terms of, again, being in the body. We want The body is your place of protection. You don't want to be functioning outside in the place of chaos. Well, I was, uh, I was looking at sacred space earlier this morning. I went to the Temple Institute, and they have quite a bit of information on there to glean from. And I encourage folks to do that. And if you have not read uh, John Walton's book, and we really, really, really encourage you to read it, not to see what you disagree with, but to see what he has put in front of us to try to glean. But The Lost World of Genesis 1, uh, please get a copy of it, read it, and follow along with us. Because what we're doing, folks, is we are returning to 
a world that we don't know. And that's the heart and soul of returning to Eden. We've got about five minutes left, uh, Dina. What do you want to end with this week? Well, I'd, I'd like to just mention one thing we don't want to forget is this is the purpose and function of Yeshua. Yeshua the Messiah came to restore order, that is to build a temple and bring peace and rule and reign as king. It perfectly fits the pattern. And so when he's called Yeshua the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, the anointed one, he's anointed for the, the, the function and position of king and high priest. So we never want to forget that. And we'll be talking more about his purpose and function as we go through this. But again, the, the, the place of sacred space is the place of order. And again, next week, we'll talk more about the chaos part of it. But that is the place where that, that God is built for himself, where peace comes, where rest uh, occurs, and where that is the place for protection, provision, and for, the, for, the, for life to come forth. That is, that's the place. And I, I do want to, I want to reiterate something as well. You know, whether you you know him by the name of Jesus, Yeshua, uh, that's really the 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 cornerstone of everything we do here, because without establishing who he was and what he is doing and why he is doing it, then all of this is really just kind of a waste of time, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I agree. Because if we don't acknowledge him, if we don't acknowledge what he did. If we don't understand that he is literally repairing the breach that occurred in the Genesis account of Adam, then there's no real point of us having this discussion. So I want to make sure and be very clear to our audience that that's that's the start and the finish for us as we go back to Eden. Well, Uh, we know in our own lives, I mean, my life was uh, somewhat chaotic before I uh, came face to face with my Messiah. And so we all have experienced the fact that he brings order to our lives in the same way that he brings order to the universe. Only he can, because he is the Messiah, the anointed king and high priest to do that and transform us. And so, and he did, he talked about himself as being a temple. Remember in John chapter two, destroy this body and in three days I will rebuild it. So there are multiple layers uh, of understanding in terms of the temple, but always a temple or a house represented uh, function being being employed and peace and and prosperity and blessing all those things were what a temple would provide to the community in which it what where it was built. And remember, folks, as we talk about this and continue this conversation next week, order means function and purpose have been achieved, and this is really the goal of Messiah when he returns. And so, I want to make sure that we're clear that uh, we're always looking for the Messiah. I'd, I'd really appreciate it if he showed up the day after tomorrow, but uh, until <laughs> then we kind of have to walk through. Uh, and I want to say something and I'm, I'm, I'm going to challenge my listeners, the listeners to our show uh, in the ancient world. It wasn't so much of an emotional connection. It was more of a obligation. And yeah. so going forward, as we discuss all of the various things, the ancient Near East Covenant Treaty laws and, and a variety of subjects that we're going to cover. Try to see this as, and Dean, I want you to say something about this. But this is not really a love thing, but a loyal thing. And if we're going to be loyal to the king, we need to understand that that was in play too. That The word love sometimes is interchanged in our generation as an emotional thing. But right. in the world back then, it meant loyalty. If you were disloyal, it meant you couldn't possibly love anyone. 
And so we want to have that concept going forward, not necessarily emotional connection, but we have a responsibility to the king. Dina, we've yes, got there were less this, than a minute. Exactly. Well, these are the, the, the love was an expression of the covenant obligation, that there was a duty and an obligation uh, for you to remain in the covenant. And we, and we will touch on covenants as we go through this. Uh, certainly when one broke the covenant, that kind of blew the whole thing apart. So be- between the king and the servant, there was a, a covenant as well. And so that that duty and that was basically synonymous with love and duty and loyalty. All those things were very concrete terms in the ancient world. And it wasn't some sort of messy emotional <laughs> thing that we I mean we're all on you know psychiatrist beds these days and that this would be as foreign to the ancients as anything you could imagine well folks we're talking about order versus chaos and on that note Dean and I'll see you here next week have a great week come back and join us again next week this is Shalom Jeff. Shalom Shalom bye bye <laughs>